Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. We got B-Sides. The conclusion, no, not even the conclusion, but the epilogue to the conclusion of the Mere Island saga. Yeah, so I guess a little less B-Sides than normal. Yeah, but still some B-Sides. That's pretty much all all B-Sides. So we've got a packed agenda here, so we're going to just jump right in with X-Factor number 70, which has uh, a Mike Mignola. Did we decide on how to pronounce that? Is it Mignola or Mignola? I go with Mignola, but I also go with Mignola, so it depends on what mood I'm in. Okay, well, I'm going to go with Mignola, Um, and I'll guarantee you that when I was a kid, I thought this cover was bad. (laughs) <laughs> and as an adult, I say, this Mike Mignola guys, he's got a style of his own, and it's pretty good. Obviously, we've covered other Mike Mignola stuff, and I've probably made those same comments before. So I guess it just shows how uh, you can grow. Yeah, I think that this is a, a great cover. Um, it really, uh, what was the last line of the last issue? Something about... You'll have to walk me there. Something like that, yeah. The professor's like, oh, I broke my legs, and in order to get to my dream, you're going to have to walk me there now. This feels like a direct response to that, where you have Cyclops and Beast under each of the professor's arms, and they're slowly walking him off a cliff, it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) All right. dream's down there, professor, we swear. (laughs) It's not going to hurt. Uh, otherwise, you got a bunch of other X-Men in the background, so uh, many... Only X-Factor is colored, so we're on brand. Right, right, exactly. Uh, everybody else is in shadow, and it looks like we've got Banshee, Rogue, Wolverine, Guido, Polaris, and Forge there in the background. All the people that appear in this issue. Imagine that. So, Rogue looks very sinister. She does. She does. Now, unfortunately, the entire issue isn't drawn by Mike Mignola. I'm going to go with Mignola. Uh, It is penciled by a guest penciler, Kirk Jarvanen. Guest penciler. Yep. Uh, Peter David is the new writer. Joe Rubenstein's the guest inker. Michael Heisler's the editor. Glennis Oliver and Steve Bucalata are the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And we start out with a full-page spread of the professor yelling out for Legion. I don't know why he wouldn't just go with David, because it is his son. I don't know why he'd use his mutant code name. Just in case anybody's listening. Cool. Maybe he identifies more as Legion now. Yeah. And Maybe the professor's just disconnected from his son. That's probably more likely. That what was make- his name again? <laughs> uh, Legion is what I call him, so we'll go with that. Is it is the issue called ends and odds or is it odds and ends backwards? Oh, that's a great question. I'm going to go with ends and odds because that seems like a more of a Peter David thing to take odds and ends mm. and turn it into ends and odds. Yeah. So the professor is uh, looking around. I guess a blank astral. Um, yeah, he's in he's in the astral plane play, slash yeah. David's mind. Yeah, and a phone appears. A Payphone, which I'm curious, right? A kid who's uh, growing up in 2022, who's reading about those old classic X-Men and X-Factor adventures, if he looks at this and he's like, what is that thing? Well, he probably just thinks it's a weird cell phone. <laughs> it's a mighty big cell phone. <laughs> uh, yep, and he calls the operator and asks to speak. Well, 
I guess, uh, a answering machine responds with, hello, you've reached Brian, David, or you've reached the brain of David Holler. No one here. Please leave a message. The professor does try to leave a message. It doesn't work. And uh, he comes out of his astral plane visitation, or I guess maybe he's still in it. Yeah, he's, the, he's mumbling. Come out of it. Yeah, he's mumbling. David, David, come back to us. And in the hospital are Moira McTaggart, uh, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, and Legion and the professor are in a, I don't know if it's two beds. No, I guess it's one bed. They just, they're in one hospital bed together. Seems, seems like the professor shouldn't be in Legion's bed with him. Uh, if this is like a hospital sort of thing, I don't think you ever put two people in one bed in a hospital. No, typically not. I mean, unless but, you, you know, really have whatever. to, but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> So the big takeaway from this page, his body's all broken and whatnot. Um, Wolverine sort of ends the whole conversation by, Charlie's tough. He can walk or not walk. Doesn't make a difference to him. Yeah, terrible Wolverine uh, characterization. It's surprising because Peter David's not a bad writer. It's not the worst Wolverine interpretation, but it's well, the, a little The, the whole next part is stupid. Right. Truly spoken like someone who's never been able uh, – uh, who's never been – unable to enter a building because there's no wheelchair ramp or uh, not the use of the men's stall room because the stall isn't wide enough, says Moira. This is all good stuff. I mean, it's yeah, stuff it's, it's all true. Yeah. It's absolutely, especially in this time period, accessibility was much more difficult than it is today and yeah. it's still not 100% very good today. It's better, but it's um, not perfect. And then but she it's... says, extinguish that cigarette immediately and he eats it. And I'm just like, Seriously? Okay. <laughs> well, they're trying. I feel like they're establishing something, and I'm gonna. I feel like it's woven through a few of the issues here. But Wolverine or Gene says, "Did that hurt?" He's like, "Like nobody's business." Um, Cyclops is like, "Why'd you do it?" Nobody's business, which was clever, but still not quite Wolverine. It's it's a version of Wolverine that for some reason is very. Uh... I don't know. Wolverine's a thoughtful guy. This guy's just kind of a brute. So, well, and I'll point it out when we see it in Wolverine 45, I think is what we read this this time around. I think they're they're building up the Wolverine's go cuz I think around issue 50 doesn't he change into his yellow outfit and go like oh he's more wild. He's he's getting back to his sort of uncontrollable roots. I don't remember. I feel like that is a thing that happened more or less, and I feel like this and some of the comments he makes in Wolverine number 45 are building to that storyline. In any event, um, Cyclops is like, oh, I don't like the way he looked at me. Uh, we, we were allies. Storm's like, maybe that's not how he regards you. What then? Moira says, a rival maybe? So bringing that, that Scott and Wolverine rivalry right back front and center for some yeah. reason. Which, Which seemed, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember if, uh, how X-Men 1 plays out. If I were Cyclops, I would just put Wolverine on the other team. Right. Because he respects Storm. Right. But, you know. Well. Whatever. Anyway, Wolverine's got some sort of message for Jubilee. Uh, we never really figure out what it is. We'll but, talk. To, uh, she gets mad about it. We'll talk about that, it when we get coming. there. But yeah, I read this issue twice and I'm like, what happens? <laughs> 
Anyways, uh, Angel is flying around the island, and between the conversation, I think Archangel is just narrating to himself, but the island is now no longer an island, but because of the explosion that happened a couple of issues ago, it's now sort of a crescent with a big crater lake in the middle of it, which I guess is important. I I mean, if you're if you're looking for uh, something to have happened out of the Mirror Isle saga, then yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Guido and Polaris, uh, Rogue, uh, Colossus, they're all on the ground. Colossus calls out to Angel. Angel either can't hear him or ignores him. Um, this is a lot of dialogue here. Beast quotes, uh, some William Yeats saying, basically, all of the teams with an X in front of their name better get their act together. Which I don't, I don't really know why, but. Because, you know, new beginnings, they're trying to make the Muriel saga seem like it was more epic than it was. Right. That was the whole feeling I got from this issue is that major things happened. And now we're we're moving on from that. And it feels like a bit of a struggle for Peter David to figure out, like, well, nothing really happened. It's not that exciting. It really wasn't all that exciting. Uh, Colossus asks Forge if he can invent a machine to help clean everything up. So Forge produces a device. He says, I have just the thing for you. And he hands Colossus a broom and a dustpan. <laughs> and Beast particularly finds that amusing. You get, he's got a big uh, Cheshire cat smile. Uh, back in the astral plane, or, uh, the professor is working his way through different barriers, like a brick wall with a hole in it, some stairs that seem to go to nowhere. Gene, in the real world, comments about, oh, I still remember the first time I saw him and how helpless he was, which is kind of neat that they're referring back to, I guess, issue one. Pre-X-Men number one? Pre-X-Men number one, right, if you follow some of the retconned origins. But uh, and then she finishes that up with, remember those days? slim oh please oh please look at my muscles rogue is throwing rocks in the water as she contemplates things i guess and uh that's when val cooper and mystique nick fury show up to basically have a quick conversation and tell us what happened like why isn't valerie cooper dead or mystique or whoever went into whatever's room to kill the other person Yes, I thought it was Mystique that was supposed to kill Val Vel, Vel Kilmer, Val <laughs> Cooper. Uh, but it was actually Val Cooper who was under the Shadow King's control who was supposed to kill Mystique. So I, I remembered, I misremembered that. I don't remember. So this, I'm glad this happened just for that so that I could remember what actually happened. But yeah, we didn't need all this explanation. The gist of it is Val, Val Cooper is still alive and Mystique is still alive. And Mystique was disguised as Val Cooper while she was in the hospital because rather than try to kill Mystique, she tried to kill herself in order to not be under the control of the the Shadow King. Right. And then Mystique and Rogue uh, reconcile, more or less. Well, there's also a complicated bit about how Mystique took Val Cooper's form and was hypnotized by S.H.I.E.L.D. to believe that she actually was, in fact, Val Cooper, so that she could thwart the telepathy of the Shadow King. I remember there was a panel of Nick Fury whispering into Val Cooper's ear, and now we know what he said. 
Right. And that, I actually don't remember if there was a panel or not. I'm just assuming there was. I'm going to assume there was too. But yeah, they set up a code word that would break the hypnosis and sort of set the trap or bait the trap or whatever you want to call it. And Rogue's like, yeah, well, what was that word? And she says, Rogue. And apparently that's enough for them to reconcile their differences. Well, I mean, Rogue says, I was really upset that you died. Somebody could have told me. And then Mystique was like, well, I was really upset that you guys, the X-Men were dead. So I think we're even. And Rogue's like, that was different. And then Rogue says, not Rogue, Mystique. Uh, Mystique says, can't we just be happy about being alive? And Rogue's like, yeah, I guess, I guess that's a good point. Nobody brings up destiny, surprisingly. Nope. And this is the outcome of Wolverine wanting to have a conversation with Jubilee. She throws a big tantrum and she says, no, I won't. No way. No way, Jose. We're a team like Batman and Robin, Siegfried and Roy, Jekyll and Hyde, Funk and Wagon, Burton and Ernie. So you just drop it, okay? And Wolverine's like, huh, she took it better than I thought she would. I don't, I don't like the sleeveless version of this outfit. No. But, Wolverine's sporting. So pontificate if you will what what did wolverine tell her i I feel like he told her you can't be an x-man but i don't know if that's what actually happens um maybe this is setting up generation x but i i don't know how i I feel like generation x is a few years out yeah i feel like that too so so right maybe she's supposed to is there is there a new mutants right now i guess not no there's an x force Maybe she's she's going to be the only new mutant. Yeah. We're going to start a new team of new mutants, and you are going to be that team. I don't know. Because it, it obviously, you know, she's saying, hey, we're a team, like all these people. So Wolverine's saying, like, you got to go somewhere else. Or maybe does Jubilee get put on the gold team and Wolverine gets put on the blue team? I guess we'll find out. But there's no resolution to this. I got to talk to Jubilee about some things. Which is Maybe little- that's what it is. I think Jubilee is part of the the blue team so uh, there you go then we switch over uh to some uh s- sexual assault panels here which is <laughs> yes uh very cringy it's 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 it is cringy it is very comic books of the 90s sort of thing uh polaris is practicing her powers and hanging out with with uh guido and she says she she's glad that she's got her magnetic powers back, but she feels all stiff and uh, her her brain is an unused muscle because she's been under control for so long. And Guido says, well, uh, put your heads above your head or put your, hand, your arms above your head and suck in your gut and thrust your hips back. And she does, and she looks like a uh, sports bikini model or something. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a cover of a, a sports, sports illustrated, illustrated swimsuit uh, issue for sure. And she says, okay, but what good is this supposed to do me? And he says, you, nothing. Doing wonders for me, though. And he's grinning like a like a sex predator. Yep. And uh, <laughs> she says, oh, you. Yeah. Which, I don't, have you ever had a woman say oh you to you i no i don't think so <laughs> I, I mean it has to come from somewhere at some point some woman somewhere must have said oh you maybe in the 60s I, it was a common thing to get out of being sexually harassed by your boss i don't know i don't know i feel like this is how men of the 50s would write women of the 50s in sitcoms like dick van dyke or you know the mary tyler moore show or et cetera. Et cetera. 
to get out of you know the male dominated <laughs> like this is this is bad <laughs> it's supposed to be cute it and is. at the time it was probably cute we were establishing a relationship between the two of them he's a jokester a little on the cringy side she's okay with it though she's like uh, you know whatever i'm not i don't i don't mind that this guy's being silly and stupid right so you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna over over overlook it but like it's I know what it's supposed to be. Sure. Yep. So yeah, they keep talking, uh, and Bal Cooper shows up, and she's basically like, "Hey, uh, we need to do. We need to have a new Freedom Force, and uh, maybe you guys could be that Freedom Force." And Polaris is like, "What? I'm not going to be on a team that used to have the Blob." <laughs> and she's and like, she "Well, says, the name is important. The name isn't important. The concept is." And there's only, there's only one person I listen to when it comes to concepts of mutant groups, a person I should be with right now. I think she's talking about the professor. She might be talking about Legion. I Does she know anything? I, did she ever meet Legion when no. she was not under the spell of Shadow she, King? She's talking about the professor, but I feel like Polaris has met the professor twice. <laughs> I mean, as, as we've gone through uh, many, well, all the issues of the X-Men up until now, I feel like there's only been a couple of encounters. This, I feel like, would have been a little bit more impactful, that line of there's only one man I, I would listen to about this, and it's a man I should be with right now. I feel like that would be more, you know, would resonate more if it was from Gene or Storm or but whatever. So the through point of this week's issues is that people talk about other people that they haven't really met more than they should. They They seem to know people that going back – We've never seen them interact with. Yeah, or not extensively. There's, I think there's a couple in X-Force as well. There might be one in X... I think there's one in Excalibur. So I'll try to point them out as I come across them. Sure. I suppose uh, if you just met somebody and they tell you to stand like a bikini model, that might be a not a great first impression either. There's a different way to establish that you're a cute jokester rather than sexualizing... Uh, somebody that you just met i mean you know it's 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 a it's definitely it's definitely something that you might get away with with somebody that you know pretty well who's maybe right comfortable with your behavior right it's not something you do or at least not something i do as a complete stranger right to somebody Egg. That, would, uh, that would be bad exactly so the professor continues to climb his stairs to nowhere he makes it to a cabin that's sort of floating off into the distance He's in the astral plane, so he's able to make the leap into the house that has, like, a whole bunch of lamps. Um, and that's when Gene shows up and says, hey, it looks like you could use some help. So here I am. And this is one of the things that uh, the professor says a bunch of things have happened since I've been in space. Gene miraculously back from the dead. Warren mutated into something barely recognizable. Scott in mourning for his son. I didn't know he had and wife that he apparently didn't have. So he's talking about, you know, the stuff that happened while he was in space. Later on, he refers to Warren as, I never thought Warren would get his wings back. But again, if, if you were in space when Gene came back, you never knew that Warren lost his wings. Right. But maybe I'm overlooking that. Maybe. I don't see it here. So if I find it, I'll point it out. But yeah, Gene shows up and says, hey, uh, assuming you're not too upset that I am, as you say, back from the dead, maybe I can help you out. Yeah. She's also trying to convince him that um, 
Legion's gone, and all of these images that you're conjuring are your are from you trying to establish a link that can exist. He she points out that they are metaphors. The bricks were a few bricks shy. The staircase is a staircase not going all the way to the top. The house that the professor's in lights are on, but nobody's home. The rest of Act Factor joins uh, to try to lend some support. There's a little bit where uh, Gigi says, "We X Men, we always said X Men are hard to kill," and the professor says, "Indeed, sometimes it seems like mutant heaven. There aren't any pearly gates, but instead revolving doors." That's, that's kind of clever, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. They bring him out of the astral plane after sort of convincing him that David truly is dead. He's gone. He's not going to be able to bring him back. They mentioned that he's never going to walk again. Right. And Russia's like, never. Scott. Uh, never Scott? And Jean lost her life never to return, and Warren lost his wings never to fly again? I don't believe in never, Scott, and furthermore, I never have. Oh, well, this is a sight I never thought I'd see in this lifetime. As he wakes up and finds X-Factor hovering over him Basically, his, bed his original his original students, yeah. Moira shouts out, he's all right. And then the message passes through all the halls to all the various uh, teammates, whether they know the professor or not. And it finally, well, I'm jumping ahead. It finally makes it to Wolverine. And then it's like, he's all right. And he's like, who, David or Legion? Rogue's like, I forgot to ask. So another little little Peter David joke there. That's from um, tracks. This one's good. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, and Jubilee is also just stomping up and down. He's all right. Who cares? Because she's mad about whatever. Still don't know what. The professor waves David's eyes closed to sort of give him that peaceful rest. And then says, hey, what am I going to do with 14 X-Men? And I don't know if the professor is riding on uh, Beast's shoulders here. but Yeah, it's sort of a strange and so the 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 um, portrait we get here which i don't know why they selected these is wolverine forge rogue colossus gambit polaris jubilee and guido and they were all the people that were in the issue yeah it seems like it would make more sense that the people that we would focus our attention on out there would be the new members of x-factor uh, or the current members of X-Factor, but this is just kind of a hodgepodge of characters. And maybe that's the point. I don't know. Meese's response to what am I going to do with 14 X-Men is, eh, bag them, which always bothered me because it's a breaking the fourth wall moment that makes no sense in the reality of their world. You think so? You mean this is like sell a bagged issue of X-Men number one? What else could it mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to be some with some witticism, or if it, it is literally breaking the fourth wall. I don't know. I always assumed it was a it was a joke about bagging and boarding them. Yeah, maybe. But I could be wrong, and I could be totally missing what the actual joke is about. I don't. I don't get what bagum means. I mean, in, in beast view, I guess. Right. If there's ever a time where bagging and boarding an issue is at the pinnacle of popularity, it's probably right about now. So, I, I don't know. This issue, I mean, it's a, obviously it's a it's a epilogue, if you will. It 
sort of unnecessary. Like we didn't need any of this because I think at the end of um, X-Men 280 or 270, whatever issue that was, uh, I think the professor sort of reconciled that David was dead and, and gave his life to save everybody else. So this issue sort of felt redundant, but I also get that they want to sort of, they obviously want to line up a whole new launch. So they're like, what are we going to do for this issue 70? Peter, David, you're taking over the book. So why don't you write an epilogue? Or maybe he came up with the idea. Well, I'll just do an epilogue that sort of sets up X Factor, sets up the blue and gold team a little bit. Yeah. Um, So it's a fine issue. It's just kind of unnecessary. And to that end, I don't even know if I owned this issue back in the day. I think I did because I remember that Bagum line. Okay. I definitely bought X Factor 71, but then I think, again, we'll talk about it when we talk about it, but I was turned so off by the artwork that I, I that's <laughs> it. I don't even know if I read the issue. I probably opened it and was like, what is this? Um, but we'll talk about that when we get there. And maybe I'll have a new appreciation for that art style. I don't know. I, yeah, I I think... It is a very Larry Strowman we're talking about is, mm-hmm. is very stylish. But yeah, we'll get it, we'll get to it next issue. Wolverine number forty five is an issue. This continues from issue forty three, where, where uh, Wolverine was running through the uh, the Central Park, and he I think he saw a big statue of the Hunter in Darkness, which goes back to that issue where can't remember if it was a flashback issue, whatever, but they call it out here that it's from issue 34. Oh, okay. So go back and take a look. It's a great cover. You got uh, Wolverine fighting Lady Deathstrike, Sabretooth, and the Hunter in Darkness. Which actually happens. Um, this issue slows things down considerably, in my opinion, which is fine. Um, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a decent, it's a good issue. Uh, Jubilee is caught up with Wolverine, and Wolverine's like, I gotta go. Runs away from Jubilee, so they spend most of the time separated. Uh, Wolverine, she's, she's mostly just following him. Yeah, Wolverine's bent uh, on finding the Hunter in Darkness, and I think releasing the Hunter in Darkness, or bringing some uh, justice to the guy that wants to hunt the Hunter in Darkness. Either just way... Just seeing what the deal is. I mean, he, Jubilee points out that what the guy who owns the Hunter in Darkness is doing is not illegal. Right. And he, Wolverine says, well, yeah, he has the right to use the Hunter in Darkness as an attraction to lure suckers into the, his casino. And he probably racked up brownie points with the city tourism board for displaying the Hunter in Darkness right here in Times Square before he takes it down to Atlantic City but I sure don't have to like it. So right. as as of now, he's just seeing how things are. He's investigating. He wants to be there for the the uh, reveal of the Hunter in Darkness to Times Square. Right. Whatever's happening here seems very unethical, but to your point, there's no laws are being broken. Nothing, quote unquote, bad is happening. There's a lady who's got a sniper rifle. I don't know who she is, but I think she wants to shoot somebody. She, we find out that she wants to shoot the hunter in darkness, uh, and she does, and we don't ever find out why. So I'm sure that'll come up. It's more of a, uh, uh, what was the robot's name? Well, LCD and Albert. Arnold, Albert, Albert. Thank you. Um, I was going to say Arnold or no, I can now I can't even remember what I was going to say, but it wasn't Albert. So Albert needs more power. Because he's building some really complicated uh, upgrades to LCD, and this kind of goes in line with 
what's going on in the rest of the comic to the point where at, at a crucial moment, he knocks out all of the power in New York City. But we'll get to that when we get to it. Because meanwhile, Sabretooth grabs a thug who is trying to steal someone's purse and then punches out the lady and the dog runs away. I'm okay with this because it's Sabretooth. It's, he, I don't know. He doesn't hurt the dog. I think he just punches the lady. He punches the lady and the dog runs away. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then steals steals a bunch of money from her wallet. Um, you know, it, it's worth it just to get Sabretooth in that stupid outfit. I, I completely, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, it's an amazing outfit. Wolverine is up on a billboard, basically advertising for the Hunter in Darkness when it flips around. He doesn't quite understand what's happening until something's projected on the screen. He's like, oh, it's a bit, it's the world's biggest television or projection screen. I, I get what's happening. And we find out that this Hunter guy is uh, flanked by... Lady Deathstrike, and apparently they've had relations as she's, I guess, tried to get his trust or at least get to his side. Yeah, and yeah, the implication is that they've, well, she says... There's no uh, implications. They're pretty much like... That's why I came to you with my business proposition, and he says, among other things, and she says, you like the perks, Ronald? Right. Yes, indeedy, I do. So... There's a point when she takes off her costume because she's all in like a ninja black outfit, sort of. She pulls it all off to reveal her Lady Deathstrike costume and he's like, not right now. And she's like, get out of my way. So Lady Deathstrike willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that she has the advantages that she needs in order to get her revenge on Wolverine. It tracks. We saw the same thing with uh, uh, Donald Pierce. Yeah. Right. So she was... having. So apparently they've split up or, or she's moved on from Donald Pierce, but... She's not above using her body as a tool to get what she wants. Exactly. Wolverine doesn't know what's happening because he's right by a speaker and he's above the screen. So he doesn't see Lady Deathstrike yet. Um, But uh, she, I don't know, eventually. She's she's like, Wolverine has to be here. And that's the the implication. And Sabretooth comes to this area because like Wolverine has to be here. They all figure Wolverine's going to come there. I'm not entirely sure why. Did they all know that he had an encounter with the Hunter in Darkness? Has he been spreading that story? But whatever, it's comics, so. Sabretooth is in this stolen outfit, which is a beanie cap over his head. He's got a big puffy jacket and the most epic purple parachute pants and tennis shoes. It's amazing. And then he's got these bright red sort of ruby studded sunglasses uh, and I want Sabretooth to never wear anything but this ever again. <laughs> I want to see Sabretooth with the sunglasses over his eyes. Oh, my gosh. Did I, I, I don't think you know the answer to this, but did Toy Biz ever make <laughs> this this character as an Probably action figure? Not, but that would be great. Uh, yeah. I bet you there's or a... Whoever, it's uh, Hasbro now, right? So yeah. they, could, they could do a Sabretooth in... 90s garb. <laughs> It is so 90s. It is so awesome. It'd be a real deep cut that wouldn't sell a lot of figures. Yeah. It'd sell two at least. <laughs> <laughs> the the dude, I can't remember his name, is like, what's that secret name you like to call? Like to have me call you? Death with? Wesh? Deathhead? And I think this is supposed to be the reveal to us, but we already knew it because he refers to her as Yukio or Yuriko earlier. Yeah, we, we already knew. But she says, Deathstrike, Lady Deathstrike. I love it. Trey Kinky. Trey Kinky. <laughs> Jubilee, oh, who's in the audience. Of Trey. 
in yeah. the English vernacular. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jubilee is in the audience and she recognizes Lady Deathstrike and like, what's he doing? What's she doing here? I don't know if she can see Lady Deathstrike or if they're on the TV, maybe. No, I don't I'm know. I'm just assuming everything that people are not shouldn't be able to see is on the TV. Well, I mean, if you go back a couple of pages, it's that guy and Deathstrike in her little ninja costume on the screen giving the announcement oh, yep. of like... Yeah, okay. So all the kinky stuff is probably not on camera, but their faces are definitely on the, the big screen there. Then they, they reveal... the Hunter in Darkness, and he is... Uh, it's a, a monster, big, big old... Windigo style monster, more more wolf like than the Windigo, that is trapped in a cage, being hauled around by a helicopter, and people are freaked out. We get some more of Albert trying to find power. Uh, the lady in the window shoots the hunter in darkness, and only nicks him because he moves. Mm-hmm. Wolverine gets angry about this. Every uh, the uh, guy in the helicopter is like, "Get us out of here!" I don't know what's going on. And Wolverine jumps on the cage. And that's when Sabretooth takes off of his cool sunglasses and beanie to go in a, with a, one of these great smiles. Mm-hmm. It's Cameron Hodge style smile. I just knew that little old sunny boy of mine couldn't stay away from this shindig. And Lady Deathstrike, as you mentioned, rips off her clothes. Then he says, no, there's no time for that. Revealing says, her Get costume. out of my way before I shove your face in. Yeah. Which later... The pilot turns to the guy and says, did somebody shove your face in? <laughs> so, yep, she's she's gotten what she needs out of this guy, and she's off. Uh, so both Lady Deathstrike and Wolverine or, and Sabretooth all end up on this cage on top of the Hunter in Darkness. You got the lady with the sniper rifle. It's like, ah, oh, there's too many people there. I don't know who to shoot. Jubilee jumps on top of a street sign. She starts screaming out, Wolvie! And she throws out a bunch of lights, like, I got to see what's happening. And Wolverine's like, oh, nice job. This causes the helicopter to crash, uh, freeing the hunter in darkness, uh, and the issue ends. Yes. So Jubilee and, screwed uh, everything up. So the the power is out in New York City. I don't know if I don't know if it'll still be out in the next issue, and I'll probably forget to check. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good stuff. Good action. Got all these storylines converging, or these characters converging. It's fun. Wolverine and. Uh, or Deathstrike and Sabretooth against Wolverine. That's that's awesome. Plus, you get the Hunter of Darkness, who maybe he'll team up. Then we get a, uh, a pinup by Art T-Bear, who's got sort of a mixture of Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane. It's good art. Crazy hair. My my headphones cut out for a second. You're good, though. Okay. I was just talking about Art T-Bear and his awesome pinup. Oh, right, right, right. Two-page spread, uh, Art T-Bear. Um, mm-hmm. This issue is only 20 pages long, so I don't know if they're cheapening out or if they're just filling these issues with ads. But uh, The Wolverine comic has a history of having pinups at the end of it. so No, I'm fine with the pinups. It's, uh, the, the pinups makes up the extra two pages, I'm assuming. Ah, uh, sure. Um, the, it's also bi-monthly right now, so it's probably... A little more sure. hectic in the offices. Excalibur number 41. Remember the X-Men showed up to, to wish little Lockheed some, some good health uh, while, while he recuperates on his hospital bed. And I guess uh, between the two issues, they decided to go out to a pub. Have... Not just a pub. It's the pub that was featured in Excalibur number something else. Oh, okay. Well, they're, uh, they're 
having drinks and, and then ultimately the conversation comes back to you were dead you didn't tell us we're so angry did you expect us to be so happy that you're back do you expect uh nightcrawler and me just to join you guys and uh kitty is like i'm out of here and she goes to visit lockheed who's still in the hospital still in the hospital yep we get some stuff with the police and uh the guy who's alistair or something i can't mm-hmm. remember uh alistair stewart dr alistair stewart or yep. is that the woman there's the stewart siblings and i can't remember what the woman's name is uh, i don't remember. she's not in this issue so no i think this is alistair I, i'm probably wrong yeah some guy has this like green orb um and he's like i'm gonna take over the world with this thing and he accidentally drops it next to some office equipment that's been set on the curb for the garbage people to come. The, the... And you skipped over the reunion between Brian Bredock and Betsy Bredock. I did because it doesn't matter. I mean, yes, they have a reunion, but you'll find out that none of this matters. <laughs> well, I know it doesn't matter, but it's like it's weird to have this reunion and then have it not matter. You're right. So, so it's still a nice moment for Brian where he just kind of accepts, regardless of the fact that she looks like a completely different person, She he just accepts her as... His sister. So it's a nice moment for Brian. Oh, uh, and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see more of that and why that is at towards the end of the issue. Um, yeah. I think Nightcrawler somewhere in here asks about like, hey, what was up with that whole Extinction Agenda thing? That was crazy. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're calling it Extinction Agenda? Okay. Yeah, the Genosian, what do they call it? Extinction Agenda? Uh, and that's when the, um, I guess, let's see, Rachel screams. Somebody so Rachel went oh, up to no, the no, roof yeah. because she's feeling uh, a little weird about the X-Men being back because she feels like the X-Men drove her out of the team and she doesn't know what she's going to do. Um, this she's is... thinking maybe she needs to quit or something. Yeah. How did the whole Rachel thing end? I remember she got mad. Wolverine followed her. She went in and she tried to break through the Hellfire Club. She was going to kill. Is that when she left the team? She was going to kill Celine. Celine was technically innocent, but not really. Well, she was innocent at the time that Rachel was going to kill her. Wolverine's like, we don't, that's not how we act. We don't just, we're not vigilantes. We don't kill people indiscriminately. Uh, and she's like, I'm going to do it. Wolverine's like, I, then I got to stop you. And she stabs her through the guts. Uh, at which point Celine does actually do some bad things. And she's like, Wolverine, I can't believe it. Like, I, I could have stopped this. Uh, and then she is lured into the body shop by Spiral. So that's how she ends up leaving the team. But then you fast forward into Inferno and they cross paths with X-Factor, if I remember this correctly. And she says hello to her mom, Jean. And there's really no uh, conclusion to that. So all of this is like Wolverine tried to kill me. Scott pretends I don't exist and I don't even like Gene has nothing to do with me. Why am I even here? So there's a lot of references to her in this issue being in Mojo world, Mm -hmm. which I guess we never saw. So when she went to the body shop that spiral, uh, lured her into that basically, uh, transported her to Mojo world because remember spiral was like, uh, Mojo's lieutenant or whatever. Right. Yeah. And way back in Excalibur special before issue one, Mojo sends the war wolves after her. Right. And that's how the whole Excalibur thing gets together is Rachel meets up with Captain Britain and Kitty yep. and blah, blah, blah. 
So Rachel had been missing, I guess, yeah. but not missing, missing, but not missing in Mojo World, maybe to and from. Well, she from the body shop to Excalibur, number one, we never saw Rachel. So okay. all of that time she's in Mojo verse doing something. And someone refers to her as Mojo's favorite plaything. Right. I'm sure you still are. So I just couldn't remember what the backstory on that was. And that's now I realize is because we never actually saw it. Yeah. There's a little bit of reconciliation between Rachel and Colossus. But again, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) And then Colossus tries to manipulate her into uh, like basically uh, he tries to guilt trip her. Right. Which is not very Colossus-esque. And we already know something's amiss because at some point Storm said that like she she hugs uh, Kitty Pride and, and makes an evil grin and says, I promise this Shadow Cat will be together for the rest of your life. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And that's when the little crystal escapes, bringing some office furniture to life. The two teams spring into action uh, to to help fight this office furniture. But the cop guy shows up and for some reason shoots Colossus. He's like, oh, you're that metal guy. I've always wanted to do this. And he shoots Colossus. I'm assuming he knows that Colossus is, as we find out, a werewolf. Right, because earlier, I can't remember what this cop's name is, but he's that the chubby cop that's been on Excalibur's case this whole time. He reads something, he's like, oh, this isn't good. We got to go find Excalibur. Yeah, and yeah. He, he was talking to Alistair Stewart, and Alistair said, I need to reach out to my sister and let her know that the X-Men are back. And she works for the... Weird Happenings Organization. The WHO... Mm-hmm. And uh, so presumably I'm guessing that she got back and said, those aren't the X-Men. Right. Uh, and so after all of this fighting happens for a while, um, Colossus is like, this is over. I'm done with this. Uh, he's separated from everybody else. He's with Rachel and the cop guy. He sheds his skin and reveals that he's a werewolf. Which yeah. means. Sent, sent, well, I guess dead. You thought I was. So he's one of the werewolves from issue one and they're, or the Excalibur special number one, and then whatever issue that was where they were in the zoo too, I suppose. Yeah, there's a bit, he he's talking like Yoda. Wrong you were, <laughs> alive I am. Uh, and then later on, somebody's gonna be like, why are you talking like that? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> but, and that's kind of a funny touch. Uh, yeah, and eventually the all of the X-Men reveal that they're war wolves. And they merge into a special gigantic Five-headed werewolf. Wo- werewolf. Uh, Nightcrawler picks up the little emerald shard or whatever, throws it at the Warwolves, which cascades them back to somewhere, say Mojoverse, but they're gone. And so they all head back to the lighthouse. Uh, Lockheed has been released from the hospital. He's better. And then Rachel sort of reconciles a little bit with what's going on, but has a lot of internal monologue. And she's basically like, one day I'll see Wolverine again. I don't know how I'm going to act. I don't know how he'll react, but that'll happen. There's a bit where Nightcrawler figures out that the furniture is the souls caused by the green crystal. And so he closes the green crystal and then he reopens it and sends all of the souls into the werewolves, which is what distracts them enough to suck them into the Mojoverse. Uh, okay. Well, suck them into the Mojoverse or suck them into this green orb thing. Well, they they're opening a portal to the, I don't I don't really know what happens to yeah. them, but they're opening a portal to the Mo- oh, Mojoverse to they, try to suck. 
yeah. to get Wolverine or not Wolverine, uh, Rachel back to Mojo. Right. And I, I guess the implication that I got was that by distracting them with these souls in their bodies, they wouldn't be able to hold the portal open and then it, the portal does close. Whatever happens to them, I don't really know. It's hard to tell. But yeah. the portal closes and they turn into goo. Uh, Megan and Captain Britain talk and Megan's like, oh, it's, it's so nice of you to not be upset about Betsy. And he's like, look, I've looked different. I've changed. It is what it is. She's my sister and I miss her, which rhymes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, and so she's like, well, you know what? Um, maybe we should. I know that they haven't called us and they probably should have called us. Why don't we call them? So everybody's sort of had the same thought. They all get together. They get onto the Vizzy screen. And I guess somehow they call Cable, who's like, let me patch you in to the rest of all the X-teams. They mentioned that this is before X-Force, so... Right. This doesn't make it make any more sense, but... No, it doesn't, because if it's before X-Force, we get a a picture of the new lineup of X-Factor, which technically Uh, doesn't exist. (laughs) And X-Force. As well as X-Force. Right. And then I'm going to guess the gold and blue teams because you see Cyclops with his brand new outfit. Yep. Those are the gold and blue teams. So a little inconsistent, but also I think trying to tie into the fact that everything's, I guess everything's changing except for Excalibur. There's a little bit where Nightcrawler says, we tell them Excalibur, uh, Kitty and Nightcrawler are deciding, should we leave if they ask us to? And Nightcrawler is like, no. We tell them Excalibur is as important to the world as the X-Men, New Mutants, and X-Factor. And then Captain Britain says that, and we know how to spell out an entire word, which would be sort of funny, except that one of the teams, you know, uh, uh, Nightcrawler mentioned was the New Mutants, which is two full words. Yeah. It's a, I guess I I didn't didn't even catch that joke, but yeah. Because you know that, I feel like this is probably an internal reference because you know that there was probably some like we should call it X dash caliber. We shouldn't go with EX caliber. And right. I'm guessing it was probably Alan Davis and Chris Claremont are like that's stupid. We're going to call it Excalibur after the sword. We're not going to do anything cute. I'm just my guessing, guess though. is that the writer wrote that joke and it said X Men, X Force, and X Factor. Right. And then an editor jumped in and said, "Oh, this will give me a chance to point out that this." story takes place before X-Force 1 and then changed it to New Mutants, thereby ruining the joke. But also making that the, writer hates that editor. Right. But also screwing up the last reveal of all of the team portraits. Exactly. Because <laughs> technically this should be after X-Men 1. Yeah, which but. doesn't make any sense because why are they calling the mountain in the Adirondacks? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> At any rate, the next issue is uh, the return of Alan Davis, so that's exciting. Returns as writer and penciler. I'll be interested to see how long he lasts. I will too. I, I my prediction I, is three issues, but I don't three? know. Okay. Speaking of Alan Davis, this cover was uh, not an Alan Davis, but it was a, in the style of Alan Davis. It's set on the cover, and it, I think it did a pretty good job. Uh, yeah, it was so and so after. Davis, I think, yeah. wasn't it? So I think there, this was like a Excalibur cover that they just redrew, sort of thing. It's the same cover as uh, the special edition. There you go. Um, the only part of it that really looks the same is Kitty and Wolverine and Phoenix. Everything else is a little off and different to me. 
Well, those are the ones that look particularly decent. Kitty and Wolverine and Phoenix look like the style of Alan Davis. Yeah. Nobody else really does. That's all I really focus on. Yeah. So that takes us to X-Force 2, which is a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Again, nothing, like there's... So the X-Force... X-Force is a mystery because like this issue, nothing really happens. But at the same time, some really cool stuff happens. So I don't know what Rob Liefeld's pulling from, but he's he's definitely got some good hooks in there. Yeah. Um, anyway, I... Deadpool's back. He's on the cover. There's um, a guy attacking Deadpool. There's some cute credits. Yeah. Um, what do we have here? We've got Rob Liefeld, ideas and pictures. I want to think, though, that he says ideas and pictures, but that's just me. <laughs> Fabian Nicesia, words and insomnia. Chris Eliopoulos, letters and tequila. Eliopoulos. Brad Vincata, color art and goatee so i'm guessing he has a goatee bob harris editor or edits and exhaustion tom defalco sausage and peppers everybody's very funny mm-hmm. so this new dude who i'm gonna i'm gonna ask the question adam is he black or is he white uh not that it matters one sometimes way or, or he's not, white yeah and sometimes he's in shadow <laughs> so on maybe the, on the cover and maybe maybe he is uh, like Roberto Latino or, or yeah, yeah. I, I get it. But so on the cover, he's definitely got a far darker complexion than anybody else. But then you open up the issue and he's got like a white guy complexion, but then he's in shadow. Uh, it's all over the place in terms of what his skin color is. Not that it really matters for their story purposes, but he introduces himself as weapon X. Uh, he and Deadpool have a big old fight. Um, Deadpool keeps referencing that, Last time, I guess, they fought, he got kicked in the jaw a whole bunch and had his mouth cl- uh, uh, wired shut for a couple of months, which is actually kind of funny now that we've seen X-Men Origins Wolverine. Mm. I don't know if the two have any relation whatsoever. I'm going to guess Probably no. Uh, but they fight for a very long time. Yeah, and during the whole fight, you, this Kane Weapon X guy is narrating to himself. He keeps telling himself not to talk because that's how Deadpool suckers him in. And then he just keeps talking. So it's like, listen to your own advice. He almost talks as much as Deadpool. I'm going to point out, and you can always do this with Rob Liefeld art, but page six, this picture of Deadpool with the hand being shot at him, his neck is basically on his shoulder. And I get he's supposed to basically be sort of leaning backwards, but it's very odd. I mean, the longer you stare at it, the weirder the image looks. Does Deadpool still have pouches? Oh, there's so many pouches here. I don't know if in modern Deadpool, if he's got pouches. I think Deadpool might have lost the pouches. Bridge shows up and uh, distracts Kane Weapon X for long enough to let Deadpool escape for some reason. After shooting Deadpool in the face. Right. And we do get a, a moment of like, oh, listen to the kid. Didn't have to shoot, you know. So... We don't know that Deadpool has a healing factor. I don't think we know anything about Deadpool's powers at this point, do we? No, just yeah. that he's dresses like Spider-Man. Yeah, and it, and has lots of pouches. Has lots of pouches. Does a lot of jokes like Spider-Man, and uh, he his does. Power is to talk so much that he lulls people into what he's talking about and distracts them, and then takes advantage of them. He does mention something about his face earlier, so sort of giving us an indication that his face is all messed up. I can't remember exactly what he says, but. 
Kane and Bridge talk about Shield or uh, Shield, uh, Shield and Cable. Shield wants Bridge to bring Cable in. Um, Kane refers to him as the old man. I haven't seen him in over seven years, not since the last time he pulled one of his disappearing acts. So I think at this point they might know that Cable is a time traveler. I'm guessing. I don't know. Sure. Uh, there's no lost love between us, but if he's going to be sanctioned, I'm curious why is no sanctions. We just want some answers, questions. He's got himself a little new, new band, new little band of merry men calls them X-Force. Uh, the gist at the end of the day is like, hey, I'm putting together a task force. Do you want to join? Kane says to bring in the old man. I'll pass. Bury the past bridge I have. Next time you want to help me, don't. Mm-hmm. So then in the Adirondack Mountains, in the Ant Hill, the old Sentinel base, X-Force is in the forest and they're going to they're gonna do a training exercise. Uh, basically, all of X-Force versus Feral. And Feral takes it too far. She slices uh, uh, cannonballs, cannonballs guts. guts open, I guess. Now, before we get there, I want to draw our attention to page 16. Well, I don't know what the pages are here. Oh, well, if you Marvel, tap. How do you get page numbers in Marvel Unlimited? You just tap on the screen. It kind of shrinks it and says 16 of 23. Okay. But it's the uh, it's the panel of Shatterstar towering above Domino and Feral. Mm-hmm. And I get that he's supposed to sort of be hovering over them getting ready to attack but he's behind feral and domino and he's he basically looks like he's sentinel size in comparison (laughs) i mean again just stare at that picture for long enough and you're going to see that basically shatterstar has increased his body size uh, to ginormous proportions maybe that's one of his powers sure because later on you see that he's he's a short dude in addition to being a total badass. Oh my god, he's so awesome. And uh, then Boom Boom has a new thing where she can shoot her uh she has a wrist launcher so she can launch her bombs and things, which is kind of neat. She's wearing what is clearly a one-piece bathing suit with a shirt underneath it that feels like an editor stepped in and said just color everything purple. Yeah, I I also think that the intention was between the boots and the very skimpy one piece that's all supposed to be flesh colored yeah and then she's got kind of an under thing underneath her skimpy one piece bathing suit but then her neck down to her boobs is supposed to be flesh and then all of her i think there's supposed to be a lot more flesh here because yeah there's a lot I, of I'm, i'd go so far as to say the line that is like the undershirt oh. probably wasn't there when rob liefeld drew it but somebody said oh go in and draw a little line there so she's wearing a t-shirt that that could be yeah bob harris is like she's like 13 guys come on i don't i don't know is, is anybody 13 anymore I feel like they're all 18 now. No, no, no. <laughs> Who knows? No. But yeah, it's 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 weird that this coloring, they just decided to color everything purple, uh, especially given that previously doesn't, Marvel doesn't seem to have had any issues with this. Now I, all of a sudden they do. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right because there's no re- – this is such an ugly costume, right? So you've got the, the red boots and the, the red gloves. Those are fine. And then just everything else is purple, but you got like multiple layers of of um, clothing, I guess. It would have been easy, right? I think to make the bathing suit portion red, maybe make that little undershirt thing white, and then make everything else purple, just so that you have some contrast. Because otherwise, she's just like this flat purple and red color. Yeah. 
it's uh it's not great it's very strange it's especially strange with she's wearing basically what amounts to a costume that goes all the way up her neck right she feels like that would be uncomfortable right so it'll be interesting to see how her this can't be her costume going forward so it'll be interesting to see what her costume looks like next issue yeah i'm sure he's going to do it rather likely to do a new costume every issue or something like that probably because uh, that's how girls are feral does as you mentioned kind of cut into uh cannonball's guts so she's gone crazy she's taking she's gone this, berserker yeah she's taking this training exercise far too seriously um cable made a mistake and he didn't fire up the teleporter so now they gotta walk back which i don't know why we need that information but it doesn't really do <laughs> anything level to... drew a panel of them walking back yeah and fabian nizier was like they have teleporters what am i gonna do uh, i guess i'll say that i'm an idiot yeah <laughs> i didn't prep the short range teleporters. we've got to carry them back and we cut back to black tom uh from last issue which is the highlight of this issue in my opinion where they're doing some sort of they're engaging some sort of machine and yes. we'll cut back to that uh then they go back to the little med bay and cannibal's like man she tore out my guts this isn't cool what are we gonna do about her and cable's like i don't know she's as much a human as she is animal she's only doing what comes natural we'll have to figure it out and then he says the question is should that come naturally for us as well and I'm like, that's not the question. The question is, should we keep her on the team? Right, right. Do we need to do something about it? Yeah, this seems this seems problematic. Like having everybody act like that just does not seem like, I don't know, a thing to be even thinking about. So Black Tom and others are at the top of the World Trade Center. Black Tom does something to release the Juggernaut, who I guess had been uh, imprisoned at the top of the World Trade Center? Where did we last see the Juggernaut? I don't. Spite was it Spider Man? I don't remember. Was he like sealed in cement by Spider Man? Well, that was no, that was so long ago. No, he's been to space since then. He's remember there was a Thor issue. I'm I it up. don't remember the last time we saw the Juggernaut, but I don't recall him being imprisoned at the top <laughs> of the World Trade Center. I'm trying to look it up, but the uh, website that I normally use for this is not being very easy to read right now. Hey, Tommy, guess who's home? <coughs> Bingo, bango, boongo. The juggernaut is back. Getting And just in time, too, boy. Oh, we got work to do. Next issue, guest starring Spider-Man. And I do recall uh, loving the idea that the juggernaut says bingo, bango, boongo. I remember as a kid that I I just thought that was cool. It seems very 90s. So the previous issue that before X-Force 2 that Juggernaut appears in is Sensational She-Hulk number 30. I don't think we – did we cover that? I don't think so. I don't think we covered that. Prior to that is Thor yep. 429. And we did cover that. And that, that's the one where we learned that the Juggernaut had his own planet that he was – the emperor of or something like that so she hulk 30 i mean it would be amazing if that issue ended with him being imprisoned at the top of the world trade center how did the uh how did the thor issue end with him in control of that planet i thor went home juggernaut was left behind i don't know did they leave behind? It wasn't Juggernaut on some asteroid or something? I thought he was like marooned on an asteroid. He was like, I'll be back. I'm the Juggernaut. I can't die. Something like yeah. that. Um, 
just looking really quickly at the synopsis for She-Hulk number 30. It definitely says that he was in the issue, but I'm not seeing what he did. So doesn't even it says Juggernaut was in the issue, but it doesn't say um doesn't say what he does. The cover has a uh, Green Goblin or a uh, Hobgoblin. Yeah, so maybe maybe it's just a cameo and the last place he left off was oh. really on that Here we go. asteroid. Uh Weezy tells Jen that Sanderson is the villain behind everything and dives behind the desk to escape her before she hulk can reach him. The students summon an army of villains to stop her. Juggernaut, Rhino, Armadillo, Jack O' Lantern, Sabretooth, Caliban, and Mastermold. Jeez, this seems like an issue we should have read. The yeah. villains end up fighting each other as much as she Hulk fighting each other as much as She-Hulk, but it still provides Sanderson an opportunity to escape. He rushes out, knocking over the ufologist. Sweezy sees him retreating and tells She-Hulk who gives chase. Uh, and that's really all it says about Juggernaut. It says, that, was, that was our coverage of She-Hulk number 30. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Juggernaut appears here between pages 11 and 12 of X-Men number 102. So I'm assuming that isn't the real Juggernaut. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead on record as saying I think you're all, right. all of those uh, villains were just sort of, sort of fabrications for She-Hulk, which is a very silly comic that does stuff like that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna guess you're right because they also say that um, Juggernaut, the continuity notes, uh, Juggernaut appears here between pages 11 and 12 of X-Men 102. X-Men 102 is, of course, from 1976. Okay. So he was zapped from that issue to She-Hulk 30 and then zapped back is is kind of what I'm reading. And and that that tracks with like the uh the silliness cuz they also talk about Apocalypse appears here between Classic X-Men number 25 and X-Men number 5. So She-Hulk number 30 is not the last time Juggernaut was seen. Curious if it says anything about Oh, lastly Master Mold appears between Power Pack number 25 and Marvel Comics Presents number 18, which is... I don't know what Marvel Comics Presents number 18 was. I wonder if that was the... Yeah, that's the story where uh, uh, Cyclops has to work with Master Mold to do something. I don't know if you remember that one. Okay. Yeah, anyways. So you're right. The, 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 uh, they weren't fabrications. They They weren't alternate characters. They were themselves pulled out of time to be okay. a part of this fight and then sent back i guess sounds good so the last place so the so black tom here in x-force number two is pulling uh juggernaut from the asteroid that they left him on in the last issue of thor i guess that would make sense right there at the top of the world trade center uh let's just say using those big antennas uh to to pull juggernaut from the asteroid it'll be interesting if they talk about that at all in the next issue of x-force <sighs> or Spider-Man. Because doesn't this, don't they tie Spider-Man and X-Force together? So, yeah, it's X-Force number three features Spider-Man, and then there's a crossover with Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man for two uh, for one issue of Spider-Man and one issue of X-Force, and those are the sideways issues, yeah. the notorious sideways issues. So awesome. Hey, when you're a kid back in the day, that's super awesome. It was the first time it was ever done, so I better buy five issues of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I bought five. I think by then I was I had wised up and was only buying one of everything. I'm sure I, uh, I guess I don't know. 
I don't know if I had multiple copies of that or not. It wasn't polybagged, so very good chance I only had one copy. I still have them. I wonder what they're worth. Yeah, I'd look it up, but I'm, I've already looked up enough stuff today. And that brings us to... Well, a ragtag group of things we're going to cover in under five minutes. Go, Adam. I didn't read any of this stuff. Okay. <laughs> Avengers number 337, Beast, and is continues to be small. He has shrunk in doing like a uh, an inner space through the collector's collections, sure. trying to figure out where the brethren uh, originated from inside of the collector's collection so that they can figure out some sort of way to defeat the brethren. Uh, Beast is really not in this very much. Uh, Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 27, has Wolverine on the cover, but surprisingly very little Wolverine content inside. Uh, Wolverine is recruited by Nick Fury to join S.H.I.E.L.D. for some reason. I read the issue and I don't fully understand why he specifically needed Wolverine, but whatever, it sells issues. Sure. Um, And then at the end of the issue, he shoots Wolverine, and I'm sure it's part of some sort of ploy. But I'm not sure if you're supposed to think like, oh my god, Nick Fury's evil now or something. But I don't know. Hydra's back. They're fighting Hydra. Oh my god. And then in Infinity Gauntlet number three... Uh, Adam Warlock puts together the team that is going to take down Thanos and he personally pulls aside Wolverine and Hulk to say, hey, you guys are different than those other guys. Uh, I need you to I need you to if the opportunity strikes to kill Thanos. And they're like, "Okay." And then it turns out that all of the heroes are just a uh, distraction from what's actually going to happen with Adam Warlock and. Silver Surfer, and I never read Infinity Gauntlet, so I don't know what that is. I had maybe issue one. I think I had one and two. And it featured so few X-related things that I don't think I bought anymore. Oh, yeah. Cyclops also shows them in this issue, but he doesn't say anything. Yeah. So that's it. That's everything. That He's is everything. covered Deathlock number three, but then Forge wasn't in it. So, I mean, technically, he was in it, but... He was unconscious, so, and I think he was only in one panel. Right. I didn't even see, I thumbed through it, but I didn't even see Forge in it. But. There you go. You might miss him if you blink. <laughs> um, one day, I don't know if I'll ever do it. I'll have to reread those death locks because I was kept collecting them when I was younger. I always liked the idea. It's probably because it, well, probably because it follows a very similar storyline as like RoboCop. Maybe okay. That's probably why I was into it. I remember you being into it. That's when I think of Deathlock, I think of you being into it <laughs> more so than anything about the character. Right. I think there's a, or you probably bought the Deathlock Wolverine Ghost Rider team ups, which happened a couple of times. I don't think I did. I oh. bought a Punisher Wolverine Ghost oh, Rider maybe team that, that's up, which I think happened I'm, a couple of times, but I don't think I ever bought a Deathlock one. Okay. Well. I think by then I was not collecting every appearance of Ghost Rider. Ah. It just became too much. Sure. Well, we, we did get some some letters here. Bruce Glenn says, You probably have listened to the Claremont, Simonson, and Ascenti talk about battles with Shooter and Harris during the 80s and early 90s over editor-mandated plots and characters. Have you? I don't um, know if I have. There so sounds familiar. Was, uh, there's a documentary. I think it's on Amazon Prime. I watched it a few years ago. I oh, think, yeah. I think it was called uh, Chris Claremont's X-Men. I think is what it was called. 
Uh, and there's definitely what you're talking about. Yeah, there's definitely some interviews with yeah Claremont, Simonson, and Ascenti. They're all also like hanging out on like a couch and kind of like talking about the good old days, and then talking about and not not terribly, but they're talking about kind of the handover to Liefeld and Jim Lee, and um, they're not bitter, but they're kind of like yeah, we had all this stuff going on, and then you know things changed. Yeah, water under the bridge. It probably sucked at the time. Right, right. There's. You know, when you're telling that story, what, 30 years later or how, whenever that thing was filmed, um, I guess you could hold that grudge. But yeah, anyways, um, if you want to try and have a little fun, go back to X Factor issue 68 and do the following on page one. Replace the first mention of Apocalypse with the word Harris, meaning Bob Harris. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, you can go back and reread all of Cyclops's narration and read it as Claremont talking to the audience about Bob Harris. Interesting. That's funny. Uh, this arc would be Claremont's last before he quit in the middle of the Mirror Island saga. Did he quit? I thought, well, I guess maybe. Yeah, I guess he must have quit. I always assumed that he was fired. But uh, I think he tried to take this opportunity to book in the Dark Phoenix saga with this story. There are references to it, such as Scott's losing a psychic duel with Mastermind and the Watcher at the end giving us a speech about why this was important. I think that makes sense that that's why the Watcher was there. Because otherwise, it makes no reason for the watcher to be there. If I'm not mistaken, though, that issue I thought it was a it was a jam session, but I thought Fabian Nicesia had the um, writing credits on that issue. I could be wrong. I don't remember. I know. I know. It was like there was one that was co-written by Clarence Claremont and Fabian Nicieza, and then the next issue was Fabian Nicieza with lots of help. Yeah, I'm gonna think. I'm gonna guess that that was X Factor number sixty-eight. Okay. Um, what is? I've got issue number sixty-eight open, so I'm going to do the thing that he suggests. Well, no, sixty-eight is, uh, but that was pre-Mir Isle saga. So sixty-eight was the uh, the apocalypse thing. Ever since we founded X Factor, our lives have been dominated, our task defined in the same way that the X Men's were by Magneto by a single malevolent entity. He calls himself Harris. <laughs> okay or shooter or what did he say bob harris yeah bob harris with the word harris i guess sure <laughs> um i really the- think chris claremont tried to his best to leave one of his favorite characters in a good place by making him have to make a sacrifice in some way redeeming him for past transgressions brought on by the editors right so the- i find it what's oh, that the the editing or sorry the, the credits on it are wills portacio jim lee plot Chris Claremont's script. So this is definitely, and I think we, 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 I'm sure we talked about it, but like he's being pushed aside. Um, so he's writing the script. So he could absolutely be basically writing his kind of resignation letter in that <laughs> issue. Um, I'd have to reread it for that. I just remember calling out that the whole like watcher thing at the end was just like putting way too much importance on what happened. But right. to that end, I mean, there is a lot of conversations around dark Phoenix, putting a resolution to uh, Nathan Christopher Summers and all that sort of stuff. So like, that all makes sense. I find it hard to disagree with your opinions on the Spider-Man book. Well, I liked it much better than you guys did. I think that what McFarlane was trying to do is keep up with writers like Alan Moore and Frank Miller. If you look at what DC had been doing for the last five to seven years, you can see why he thought this direction would be a good way to go. I do not think Marvel was ready for that, and he was not ready to write. I agree. Uh, I, he, he is he is at this point in his career, and I don't know how he is now. He definitely was not talented enough 
to do anything close to the level of a Frank Miller or an Alan Moore. Right. You you need to find the right writer. Uh, and I don't think it was going to be Alan Moore or Frank Miller, but you need to find the right writer to collaborate with uh, um, with, uh, uh, McFarlane. And I think if you do that, that whole child predator Wolverine Spider-Man story probably would have been, could have been the same subject material, but could have been way better than what it turned out to be. Yeah. All you needed was talent. <laughs> I think the, the talent exists. Like, I mean, I'm not going to like Seth MacFarlane has his style and, and Todd we, McFarlane. Sorry. Todd Seth McFarlane. MacFarlane definitely also has his style. <laughs> yes. Have you, have you seen the Orville? It's really good. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, Todd McFarlane, uh, you know, when I think paired with the right writer, it could translate that whole art style and, and grittiness and darkness and sort of wacky imagery into something more akin to Alan Moore and Frank Miller without so, aping it, uh, being without aping it and being wholly original to whatever that creative team that doesn't exist uh, could have come up with. So I think that regardless of McFarlane's strengths or lack of strength as a writer, I don't think his art style works as so you you have like the the stuff the stuff that happened in the 80s with like the dark knight returns with frank miller and right. the swamp thing with alan moore i don't think mcfarlane's art style works in that kind of uh uh setting i think it it would be unique to him i i think it could work but you just need the right pacing the right writer and i'm i'm also going to say that it probably be, couldn't be done on a monthly basis. I think part of the problem is that since he's on this monthly schedule and he's trying to do so much, um, we we end up with you know the shadowed panels, which we talked about, full page spreads spreads to sort of reduce the amount of story and and stuff that have to happen. I don't know. Could have been I great. Know. Personally, but... I think that his art style is too crisp or too detailed to tell this kind of story. Mm. And I think it needs to be a little bit more dreamlike sloppy or sloppy, and yeah. um, kind of dark. Sure. But that's just my opinion. Jordan Reynolds, he, he is from the past into the future here. Another message. He's on up here. He's he says, I'm not on episode 112, issue 128. But I'm going to guess he means he is on that issue. But it, uh, either way, loving the show even more as you go on. And I just wanted to say how much I appreciate the to the point podcast. This is you open up, you start the book right away, a small section for contacting before classic X-Men. Oh, my, he's way back there. And I realize just how underproduced. Well, I guess that's a, a compliment uh, <laughs> in the best way the show is. I don't mean the quality. Everything sounds and flows excellently. Uh, I just listen to quite a lot of podcasts that become more and more staged or tighter over time. Ads get added or whatever. I really appreciate how you guys let me step away from whatever craziness and just think about some fun x-men for a while thank you both well you're welcome absolutely um, welcome early on uh and i don't even know that we really discussed it but neither one of us wanted to there are other podcasts out there if you want to learn all of the intricacies and background information about all of these creators and and you know what led up to them getting to this point all of that that all exists or just read wikipedia like i i never wanted to be sort of the well actually podcast where we <laughs> you know are we uh we are definitely non-scripted and our show notes are very bare yeah. they just say what issues we're going to cover um and then we pretty much 
ad lib from there. And right. I think it shows. Well, and I also just kind of liken it to, you know, if we were in the 90s right now and we'd just read our issues, what would we be talking about? And it'd be this. And it's it, we're using the same recollection, right? We don't remember what happened in X-Men 102. <laughs> uh, and if we yes. had our show notes, we'd absolutely be referencing like, oh, Adam, did you know that Master Mode actually appeared in... And you'd be like, well, of course, Jeremy, I know that. But did you know that Henry Peter Gyrich, blah, 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 right? We, the, nobody's got time for that. Well, I mean, they do. They just shouldn't be listening to our podcast. They should. There's definitely other podcasts that will give you that information. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think it's to our detriment that we don't have. They were always like, uh, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> but on the other hand. I, I don't really want to change anything. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's sort of the reality of 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 comics. So, we follow that. I don't remember what happened. I'm sure it was great, though. I probably was. We probably loved it. If you want to know what happened, you should go back and listen to wherever we cover it. I don't remember this stuff because I've already recorded it. So, if it was yeah. that important, I just go back and listen to it again. And you can too. Yeah. And you can also contact us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twitter us at Danger Room Go, email Danger Room at xmenpodcast.com, go out to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. And you can go out to patreon.com slash Danger Room for, I don't know, awesome other content. So much awesome other content. Somewhat X-Men related. And our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Adam... You got anything else? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> then I guess uh, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. The Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.